My name is Keith Tanita. I am the superintendent. I know that's an old word and a big word. It just means that, um, I don't know what it means. It means that <laughs> I, I have a hard job. Uh, but uh, so grateful to be with you this morning. This is the second time, the first time. Uh, Kiki, um, see this headset I have? I, I asked her how to put it on. She told me to put it on like this, and so is backwards. I look like a bumblebee with little things sticking up. I don't know if you noticed. So this time I, I um, came early to put it on correctly. Um, I am going, I am, uh, I don't know if it's going to be called a message. I think it's going to be called more of a chat this morning. Dave said to keep it short and just tell them what you do. And so we're going to try to keep it short. Um, there's, a, what is it, 1059? Is that what it says? Okay, 1059. At 20 minutes, um, I'm going to count on all of you to um, either not show me any eye contact. You know how you want to get somebody off the stage so you stop looking? Um, so you stop, so you do that at 20 minutes or you start clearing your throat. <clears throat> and, and then I'll get off. I promise. No, I don't promise, but uh, we'll go. Let's get this uh, chat rolling. How many of you are, are dog people? Just give me a, okay, quite a few dog people. So as dog people, that means you take your dog out for a walk and you carry those green bags. Is that not right? You, you get those green bags and you walk your dog. Oh, hopefully you're one of those people that take your green bags. You take your green bags and when your dog does its business, you go and you put your hand, I think, and you grab that thing and you lock it in and tie it off, right? That's what dog things, dog people do. I am not a dog person. I had a dog growing up, but um, ever since I left the house, never wanted a dog. Uh, not for that reason, because in the old days, we would just let the dog poop, and if you stepped in it, oh, well, you just cleaned it yourself off off the sidewalk or whatever you did, but now you have to do all sorts of work. That's not the reason. I, I, I'm, I'm just not a dog person, but every day I go for a walk, and I see a ton of dog people walking around, and so one day, I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I see this man, and he's got his dog with his leash on one hand, and his bag of poop is his, can we say poop in church? I guess we can. Uh, um, he has his bag of poop uh, in his other hand, and he's holding it, and he's walking down, and then I see him, um, he, and he's got his cell phone, and then he takes his cell phone, and he starts talking on the phone like this with the bag of poop in his hands. And so when I walk close to him, I said, don't you know that that bag of poop is like probably bumping you in the cheek and everything else as you walk down the street? I don't get that. That's gross. And, but I think as dog people, you might not even know that you have it, right? Because you're just so used to walking the dog, picking up the poop, and going about your business. And, and the other day, uh, another dog walker, he, uh, he had all sorts of things in hand, so he put the bag of under his arm and was carrying it like this. Now, again, I could go through all sorts of different scenarios about that poop bag, but the point of it is that they're so used to it, I don't think they realize that that's gross. For, for somebody who doesn't have a dog and you're looking at this person, you're like, I could never do that. I guess you can't smell it or feel it or, or anything like that, but that's a bag of poop. All that to say is that in life, I think we sometimes go through circumstances and situations like that. 
Um, and again, this is the Christian version of it. But a lot of times there's poop all around us and we don't notice that we don't notice it. Our, our life could be falling apart and sometimes we have no clue of what is happening around us. Or maybe something something bad isn't happening around you, but maybe something is going to happen and then you're just like, where was I when all of this happened? You, or you get that phone call and you wonder, man, when, when did this happen or how did this happen? So there's a lot of circumstances that are around us that, that we aren't aware of it until it hits us in the face. Are you with me? A lot of times we're like living our happy life and then all of a sudden, it just hits us. And so what do you do with that? What, how, how, do you get, how do you get through that without panicking or losing your character? Because a lot of times when situations hit us, we can lose our character. We can um, not be ourselves. We can lose it, if you will. Not necessarily emotional, but we could lose it in just who we are and, and make poor decisions because of that. And as you, I was, as you've been studying Esther, um, I have chapter four, that is happening in the book of Esther. And so if you would turn your Bibles, or you can follow along uh, uh, behind me, to chapter four, that's exactly what's happening with Esther. That's the backstory of Esther. Esther, who is a Jew, is made queen after winning this beauty contest when the, when the king didn't to no longer want his other queen. And so they had a beauty pageant, and Esther wins out. And so she becomes queen. And Queen Esther is living her royal life, her, her life of luxury. You know, she's probably got grapes that they point down and the fans blowing on her and everything else. And so she's got a great life as queen as long as she makes the king happy. Well, uh, unbeknownst to Esther, there's a man uh, named Haman, and Haman is trying to pull all the control and power, not necessarily from the king, but uh, beside the king. And he thinks that Queen Esther, more so Queen Esther's people, the Jews, are in his way. So he, he comes up with the plot to uh, eliminate all of the Jews, and uh, so he goes to the king and he says, King, uh, the Jews need to be eliminated. If you do that, you'll be even more richer than you are, and I'll help you. And so he designs, um, designs this plan and the strategy to get rid of the queen. And so the queen's like, you know, she doesn't have any idea what's going on until the queen's cousin Mordecai discovers this plot. Now, uh, some people will say it's coincident or accident, but we know that in the Bible there is no coincidence or ac accidents. And so Mordecai, uh, Queen Esther's cousin, and they're both Jews, and those are all of her people uh, that um, are in danger, he discovers um, this plot. And, and so he goes to the queen, who's now in position, or he thinks um, she's in position, to help her people. And so... So he says, you know, Queen Esther, uh, Haman has designed a plot to, to eliminate all of our people, the Jews, and you have to do something about it. And Queen Esther's like, I'm just a queen. I'm just supposed to look pretty. I have my massacre on my eyes, and that's all that I ever need. And um, 
And so, you know, uh, leave me alone. And he says, no, 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 no. Uh, you, need, you need to make this right. And so he, tries, he convinces her, you need to go to the king and tell him that Haman has, has um, devised a, a plot to kill us all. And if you don't, um, you, you might be saved, but all of us will be gone. And so Queen says, what do, what do I do? Because in those days, you've heard that term, happy wife, happy life. That wasn't that way back then. And so if the king did not like what the queen had to say, he would just eliminate her, get rid of her, probably kill her. And so it wasn't just like, um, hubby, uh, can I tell you something? Um, there's this man. There wasn't any of that. There was real danger for him, for her, to go to the king. And so she had to make a choice. The choice is, and uh, of course it's an impossible choice, do I potentially sacrifice my life for the good of my people, or do I save my life and sacrifice the people. Now, none of us will ever be in that situation. Um, I can almost guarantee that. And, or, or, and none of us will probably never have to face a situation where our physical life is in danger in that way. But we are faced with lots of difficult decisions in our life that require sacrifice. Sacrifice of relationships, financial security, our time, and maybe our dreams that uh, we have always wanted for the greater good. Now, you can kind of go back in your mind and your life, and, and if you're a little bit older like me, there's, there's, there's times in our life where you've had to make really hard situations. In fact, my, my I'm, gonna, I'm turn, turning 60, um, you know, we have parents to care for. That's really tough decisions when, they, when you have to make those, and you know what decision I'm, those are tough decisions. What do you do? do you, what is the sacrifice? What is the cost? What is, all, what is the relationship going to be like when you have to make those decisions? Tough decisions. So how do you make it? How do you make those decisions for the greater good? What do you, what do you sacrifice? Well, Queen Esther gives us uh, some clues on how she made the decision. I think it has some application to us. So let's take a look uh, at the scriptures and see what uh, the scriptures have to say to us. First, Esther was able to make her decisions by getting the facts in order to see the big picture. That seems pretty logical and elementary. Of course you get the facts. In a situation where it's life and death and you have to make those hard decisions, not, you don't always get the facts. A lot of times we react with our emotions. We act with what's easiest. We act what's, uh, can, what we think will solve the solution <laughs> or the problem um, quickly. And that's not what Esther did. Esther took inventory of exactly what was happening. So we'll start in Esther 4.3. It says in this, in every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Um, they were, they just got news that uh, there was this plot and it was coming to, coming to their town. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes, uh, Esther 4, 5, and 7. Then Esther summoned 
Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Verse 7. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So she wanted to get all the facts. She wanted to understand the situation. She wanted to know the gravity and the scope and the scale of what was happening. Because if it was small, then she could have her peoples take care of it. But this was bigger than herself, and she wanted it to, to know that. And the reason why you want to know that is because it directs our prayers. It, it directs who we go to for counsel. It directs how we um, find, uh, find where we are in our emotions and how we are thinking and what we are thinking and scope and perspective and all of that. If you just react quickly to whatever situation comes upon you, even the hard stuff, a lot of times we'll lead with emotion and that will not get you to a place where God can teach you what he wants to teach you. So before reacting, Esther got all the facts that she could. She wanted to understand the bigger context of what was happening. Uh, as superintendent, my job is to oversee, uh, there's 19 churches. So I oversee 19 churches 38 pastors, that, that's, some, that's a, maybe a small business. It sounds like a lot, um, but uh, that's all that they would give in trust with me because I'm a small person. Um, 19 uh, churches, 38 pastors, and 75% of my job um, is a joy. I get to see pastors thrive and churches fulfill their calling and people grow and find the Lord and are transformed and marriages healed and all through the, all through the churches and the pastors and their ministry. That is 75% of my job. That's a great job. Even though it's hard, that's a great job. It's a great joy to, to be part of that. The other 25% is really hard. It's a, it's a tough job. The decisions that I make and our committees make affect um, lives. It, and uh, it's, it's hard to make those decisions. It's impossible to, to please anyone or to please anyone, uh, let alone just the few. But the decisions that you make that are tough are tough and you can't do anything about it. When... Um, during um, a few years ago, the conference decided to close my uh, home church back in Phoenix. I grew up in Phoenix. Phoenix was one of the f first five churches that started the Pacific Coast Japanese Conference. Uh, there was women who started a ministry to farmers in Phoenix, my relatives, and they started one uh, a Japanese um, a, a Japanese American um, ministry in Phoenix, and then LA and Berkeley and Santa Monica. There's one more that I'm forgetting. Uh, oh, Anaheim. And so there, uh, but um, Phoenix was one of the first five. And, but they got older. And, and when uh, I went back home, there was a dozen, there was a dozen um, people going to the church. Ten of them were my relatives. So you can imagine what that was like. And, uh, it, and we were... Um, deciding whether to close that church down. 
And so they were all 70-year-olds. I think my mom might have been the youngest. She was the youth group. She was 70 years old. It's like, hey, we're going to have a youth parent party. But she was 70 years old. So she was the youngest one of the 12 that were left. And so I had to go tell my aunts and my uncles and a few other um, friends who were not my relatives, but I still called them aunt and uncle because there were so many of them. And I said, you know, um, the... The numbers tell me one thing. Uh, you all, my aunts and uncles, are telling me another. Uh, the vision of the conference and the mission of the conference are telling me another. What am I supposed to do here? Um, if I lead with emotions, I would say, let's just l- let it go, and you guys are good. You can still have church, and and uh, that sentiment was there, um, but it 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 wasn't the right decision. It wasn't. And so I got the facts. I checked my emotions. I gave it to the Lord, uh, spent hours in prayer trying to decide what to do while the conference decided to close the doors. And that was tough. And I had to go back and look them in the eye and tears and anger and grief to close a, a church, uh, my church, uh, a conference church. And so, but we did it, and we came up with a plan, and um, I think we went over to my cousin's for a pool party, and I sat by myself on the one end, and then they all talked about me on the other end. Uh, but, But that's a tough decision. But out of that decision, we were able to sell the church, and they had some assets in the bank, and with that, we were able to plant three new churches. And we planted um, the Voice Church, which is in Tustin, and it's thriving and growing. We uh, started a church called Reimagine Church that happened in COVID. It's an online platform, and they started meeting in different locations. And uh, in this next coming year, we're going to plant our third church in Portland, Oregon. Can you imagine that? That's cool. Portland, Oregon, and we're going to plant that church, all because of the assets that, and the, not only the financial assets, but the people assets that we received from Arizona to plant three new churches. So there was a bigger picture in all of this. It was a hard decision. It was a tough decision. But as a conference, we didn't lose character. We didn't lose mission. We steward that decision well. And as a result, God bless that. When you are going through a tough situation, God will honor the decision that is made in partnership with the Holy Spirit and him. And out of that, you will be fine. You will be okay. And God will, will use that to not only grow you, but to grow and bless and be fruitful outside of, of, of the situation. Second, let circumstances confirm God's will. Let circumstances confirm God's will. Not the other way around. Let circumstances do that. Esther 4, 12 through 16. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape because she wasn't going to be able to escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you will have, will have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Esther didn't know what was going to become of her. You could 
you can kind of see what, what might have happened, but ultimately she didn't know what was going to, she wouldn't know if she was going to, if the king was going to accept um, her asking him, uh, you know, for, for relief or, or to um, help the Jews. She, all she knew is that um, she needed to have the courage to ask him. That was her only job. Uh, she didn't, she couldn't say, if you do this, I'll, this will happen. None of that. All she could do was muster up the courage to ask. That, um, and that's all that God asks of us when we're in an impossible situation. He doesn't, we, we don't ask, take, a, take this away. We don't ask, um, do it this way. All we can do when we're, ask, when we're tasked with an impossible situation is just saying, Lord, give me the courage to face it. Give me the courage and the wisdom to face whatever I'm going through. And the reason why we do that is because God has chosen you for such a time as this. He didn't choose the other person or your spouse or your family member or your neighbor. God chooses you to go through whatever you are going through. And whatever you are going through, God is going to give you the courage and the strengths and the gifts and whatever you need to go through what you are going to go through. And that's exactly what's happening with Esther. She was placed in a time for such a time as this, for a position for such a time as this. We all go through trials and hardships for a reason. The reason is because God wants to teach you, he wants to show you, he wants to grow you, and he wants to mature you in your faith. He cares more about your character than the outcome. God can change any outcome anytime he wants. He's God. He doesn't need you to change anything that is before you. God is concerned about you and your character and your maturity and your growth. So whatever you're going through, it's not the outcome that you are trying to change. You are, God is changing you. God is growing you. God is transforming you into his likeness. And out of that, you're going to gain wisdom. You're going to gain, gain strength. And you're going to give him the glory when you look back and see how God has pulled you through. I am the most unlikely of superintendent. If you put my resume for a job as superintendent in the Free Methodist Church, it would... Um, it wouldn't even register. They wouldn't even look at it. They would laugh at it. I didn't even want to be a pastor. I don't know how I became a pastor. I guess the Lord had other ideas. But through my life, all I wanted to be is obedient to the Lord. And so when he gave a calling upon my life, I tried to resist it. I tried to run away from it. But ultimately, I, I said yes. And, and saying yes meant I was going to have a hard life. A life of a pastor is hard. You can only rely on a calling. When I was an assistant superintendent, I started at Venice, and uh, the, the pastor there was Pastor Jim. Um, he took all of the burden. So assistant pastor, you, it's great. You do all this stuff, and, and nobody ever calls you. Everybody calls the senior pastor. So you don't know what's going on. But Pastor Jim would say, when you're lead pastor, um, you have to prepare yourself for different kinds of burden. It's heavier. And so when I left Venice and planted the Westlight Church, I became the lead pastor. 
and I knew what he meant. When you're a lead pastor and somebody in your church hurts, you hurt. You hurt equal if not more than that person hurts. You, and you take all the burdens of everybody who is hurting upon yourself. And if you, if you think that's a great job, then yeah, um, sign up. Sign up. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a job and you can just help uh, uh, carry those burdens. But it is tough. I never realized until I became a lead pastor. And then as lead pastor, um, you know, the superintendents, whenever you talk to me, say, man, my heart is heavy. I, I, I don't know what to do. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big burden to carry. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God bless you. I'll pray for you. And then I became superintendent. I'm like, whoa, my goodness. So I have to carry the burdens of uh, all these pastors and all these churches. And like I said, when you carry the burden, you really carry the burden because you carry it more than what the pastor and, and a lot of the church leaders carry. Because not only have you been called to it, but it's your job. And you have to figure out how to uh, make things um, right with not only the churches and the pastors and resource and coach and counsel and 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 do all those things. It's 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 a lot of it's a lot of burden to carry. Now again, there's good and bad with with my position. The good is that when you see a pastor be, thrive, oh my goodness. That is like gold to your spirit. When you see uh, somebody get, find a calling upon their life, that is awesome. And then the other side of that is when you say, you know, this isn't working out, Pastor. I think we're going to have to let you go. And that pastor has a family, and that uh, pastor's family has another family, and then he has a church behind that. And you're saying, that doesn't work. It's not working. And so, um, God bless you, but it's not working. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine going home? How was your day, honey? Not, not that great. Uh, that is a heavy burden to carry, but it's my calling. I was put in a royal position for such a time as this. You may not like what you're going through. You may struggle with whatever circumstances presented for you. But God has called you specifically for what you are going through for such a time as this. And so, and as I look back uh, at the, all the decisions I made, good and bad, the goods are, good ones are easy. It's like, God bless you, thank you, we give, give you the glory. We give you the glory even in the hard decisions, but for the, for the easy decisions and the, and the, and the, and the, and blah, 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 da, 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 that's a different language. I'm not speaking in tongues. For the good, it's, it's awesome. It's a joy. But for the heart, for the tough decisions, you give God the glory, but man, you carry that with you. But as you look back, you see God's will in it. You can only, you, you see the circumstances don't reveal God's word when you're going through it, but they confirm it once you step back and see, and look back and say, that is why God picked me. That is why God uh, chose me. That is why God gave me this. That is why God gave me this thought or this idea or whatever the case may be. That is how God empowered you, enabled you to get through that situation. So when you are going through it, 
Look for it. Open your arms up. Surrender your agenda to him and say, Lord, whatever you want, that's me. And when you look back, you'll see God's will in that situation. Last point. Let's see, how are we doing with time? Oh, you didn't nod your head. I'm closing it up really quick. Don't leave God out of the decisions. Here we go. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther knew the importance of having a community of people praying for her, fasting for her, supporting her, encouraging her holding her hand when she needed it, and God honored those prayers of those people. You know, Mission uh, Dave is on uh, sabbatical this week, and I love that. I love that Mission Valley takes such good care of your pastors. You should be commended on, on that. Dave is thanking you. He's like, oh, this is great. I hurt my knee, and I, you know, I didn't get a good sabbatical, but now you, you gave it back to him. That is a community who cares for its leaders. And it allows, the, it allows Dave and it allows any pastors with the congregation behind that's praying and supporting, pray, praying and supporting the pastors to, to, to lead well, to steward this church well as God is intended to, to lead the church. So you say, well, it's just a vacation. Why do we he have four weeks of vacation now in the middle of September? This is our fall kickoff. No, no, no. It helps for the future, for, for the future of Mission Valley to support and pray and encourage your pastor. So thank you for doing that. And one of the things that I did as superintendent, and not that the other superintendents did it, but I wanted it to be kind of my team, is I recruited a prayer team for uh, all of our pastors in the conference. So all of our pastors are prayed specifically for by this prayer team because I know that each one of them needs to have this Holy Spirit power behind them in order to, to lead well. And that's what we all need. If you, if you are out there, or if you feel all alone, don't be shy in asking your friends and family to come and support you with prayer. Put a prayer team around you. You don't have to be a pastor to have that. You don't have to be a superintendent. Each one of us needs two or three or more people praying for you specifically. And so that's what Esther did. And God honored that for her. And like Esther, you and I are called for such a time as this. We are you all uniquely shaped for whatever God has placed in front of you. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes we want to run away from it, and it's hard. But God will give you the confidence that he chose you and will give you whatever you need to get through what you are going through. So God bless the reading of God's word. And thank you, Esther, for really making and stewarding the decisions to go to the king. And God changed the fate of the Jews because of Esther's obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can reflect on our own lives and maybe some of the difficult situations that you have brought us through. And Lord, as we will probably face difficult decisions in the future, 
Help us to have confidence and the courage knowing that you are caring for us. You might have picked us to go through it, through this, and when you have chosen us and called us, you will also empower us and enable us through your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you and we give you the glory even before it happens, Lord. And so we're thankful for this and your message to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.